Hi, and welcome back to another episode of Grid and Grace Leadership Talks with myself, Kate Taylor. I have a very special episode today. In light of Are You Okay Day coming up this week, I wanted to do an Are You Okay themed podcast as I am an ambassador for the last six years. And I have an amazing guest with me today, Matt Newlands. He is uh, my cousin, my second cousin. And he's also an IUK ambassador um, like myself. And we've um, been doing this journey for a few years together now. He's in Adelaide and I'm in Sydney and um, he runs Frontline Mental Health. And he also is a public speaker and he also does a lot of education and training around mental health and well-being after his own journey with mental health. So welcome, Matt. Hi, Kate. How are you? Hey, how's it going? <laughs> really good. Really good. I'm so pleased to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Oh, thanks so much for being um, on my podcast as a special guest today. I think it kind of made sense uh, how our journeys have been and how we connected as cousins over the years uh, with mental health and our journeys. And I'm glad that I was able to get you on as an ambassador for Are You Okay mm. as well. And you've been able to do so much in the frontline aspect of the military, army, police force, everything because of your background um, since then, and as well as setting up your own business. So it's amazing. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's been a, it's been an interesting ride, and I do actually remember um, speaking to you a number of times back in 2019 when I became a RUAK community ambassador, yeah. and you were kind of the the inspiration for that. So I appreciate it. Oh, no, it's so nice to um, yeah, when you meet someone that's kind of gone through something similar that could really help make an impact with other people. You're like, come on, you've got to be an ambassador too. And um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's been uh, I just know how supported I've felt as an ambassador for six years with RUAK. Um, you know, on my journey the highs and lows of mental health and it hits us at different times and how supportive they've been of me when I've had to step back or, you know, step up and do more talks. I can, depending on what's happening. And I just was like, yeah, we need more people um, behind this cause and getting the message out there. And um, yeah. And I found that it's um, been, yeah, it's been so lovely with Are You Okay Week coming up. Obviously we've both done a few talks already and we've got more coming up this week. Um, But we thought it'd be really important to come together and share with all my listeners around the concept of mental health and are you okay? And just checking in. I know a lot of people that listen to this will be in leadership roles in not-for-profits or charities, um, right through to frontline workers and counsellors, psychologists, social workers, and support staff. So I think it's really important that they have a chance to think about their mental health too and and because they're always worrying about everyone else. So, yeah, thank you for being part of that with me. Ah, no worries. I'm looking forward to the chat. All right. Well, I've got a few questions for you um, and we'll kind of chat as we go. But can you tell me about what you do to start your day up for success? What mm. is there anything that you do that really sets you up? Um, that's actually a really good question because it's probably something that I actually struggle with. I think when okay. people say, because I've got like a lot of stuff that I do um, yes. in my time, I think there's almost like an assumption that somehow I've got like the the magic bullet to, to, to set myself up for success. And and often I think because we get pulled in so many different directions in the day, um, yeah. it's like that can also be a real challenge. Yeah. For me, it's it, routine and structure is really important. I think when, when people ask that, so what are the key things? I'm up at 5.30 yeah. and I'm usually then, it gives me a bit of time before the rest of the house wakes up just to go and yes. spend some time in the office um, you know, have a coffee and just work through, well, what, it, what does my day look like? Especially right. on a, on a Monday morning, what does my week look like? And I'm starting <laughs> just to try to get my head around how things are, are, are tracking for me for the week. And then I'll, I will usually address a few things that maybe have popped up over the weekend. Um, yeah. but otherwise I'm, I try to make sure that I don't go into my day too rigid 
um, purely because when things pop up, sometimes yes. it can cause that extra anxiety or that stress response to go, oh, no, like I'm meant to be doing this thing, but I have to make time for this other thing. Um, yeah. So I think um, loosely put, routine and structure is pretty important just around the times. And it's not uncommon as soon as I get into the like into my office, I'll make a coffee and I'll usually just give myself like 10 minutes just to plug my computer in, get my bearings, have a chat to some people, you know, just kind of settle in rather than just going straight in and, and headlong into everything. Yes, I can imagine. <laughs> I've been yeah. doing that Sunday nights. I've been um, sitting mm. once my daughter's in bed, just sitting on my laptop watching TV. Um, you know, I was watching the block last night um, and, and just yeah. – Plugging away and getting organized for the week. Like uh, my whole team are going to come in this morning and be like, what was she up to? Um, because yeah. at 11 o'clock I was sending all calendar invites and updates for the week and focus mm -hmm. emails and all sorts. And it really made me feel better going to bed knowing that like I set my week up just by spending that extra hour um, yep. before you start your week to really set yourself up and set your team up. So, yeah, I can yep. appreciate that. That's really important. Um, yeah. And can you tell us um, a bit about your career path? Because obviously you've done a few different things that have got you to where you are now um, mm. and kind of the story behind that around the linkage to mental health and are you okay, I guess, in there. Yeah, for sure. Um, so for me, I've spent uh, 10 years of my working career as a police officer down here in South Australia. So I wanted to be a cop since I was very little. Um, yeah. So four years old is apparently when I first said that I'd like to be a police officer when I'm older and that's pretty common I think for kids that age but for me it, yeah, it certainly it yeah that's right it certainly stuck with me uh, and so as I got closer to finishing high school I started to make some inquiries with police recruiting uh, and make sure that I was just in the right I guess trajectory post my schooling uh, once I yeah. finished year 12 um, to go into the police so I started in the police academy uh, in 2006 I was 20 um, so pretty pretty young um, and then I did uh, uh, a solid sort of nine and a half, ten years in in the police. I got out in two thousand and sixteen, um, and I got out for in like quite dramatic circumstances. Um, but a lot of it was attributed back to just poor mental health. And so during um, two thousand and fifteen was was the year that I describe as probably the worst year of my life. I I really struggled um, following the suicide death of a friend. Uh, who yeah. was also in the police about 18 months prior and everything sort of came to a head uh, beginning of 2015 and found myself in a really really awful spot um, and just I, th I think like now when I talk to people about that time in my life very much just poor mental health literacy and I just didn't yeah. and, and what I mean by that is I didn't know what was really going on for me I, I wasn't able to yeah. clearly recognize those signs and symptoms that are sort of individual to me that that it would be red flags now um yeah. and so i was persisting uh in some respects of just going back into the same environment over and over again and expecting a hey look if i just ride this out things will be okay and um yeah and that's not often the, the best approach when it comes to oh. um, our health so um yeah so unfortunately i got to a really dark spot in 2015 2016 saw the end of my my policing career but was also a turning point around my uh, own approach to my mental health i knew that i needed to to really start taking some uh, responsibility around educating myself, but also taking a lot of those steps that were required for me to be to become well again, uh, yeah. and so that was that was the catalyst through 2016. Um, by the time I, I think it got to about the, probably the end of 2017, 
uh, it was when I started to to start to feel pretty well again in myself and saw that in the certainly in the military in the first responder community there was still a lot of people like a lot of my a lot of my friends a lot of my colleagues just a lot of stories I was hearing anecdotally of of people who were struggling and a lot of it still came back to the mental health literacy like just understanding yeah. mental health more broadly but then also understanding their own and so that's where I started to turn my focus to well how is it that um you know what were the critical things maybe in in my healing process that were useful that were the things that I was able to take some some personal responsibility for that I could then offer up as a shared learning yeah and I started to um yeah to reach into a lot of those conversations that I was having to say you know normalize the conversation around mental health and um yeah. and that's kind of just grown from from there so probably for the last really sort of five years or so um now I've been focusing on supporting other people as well as still making sure that I implement strategies to support myself um, yeah. and, and still keep that learning process underway. Uh, and yeah, yeah it's, it's culminated in now a, uh, I run a mental health uh, company based in Adelaide. We've got national reach and still work with the military and first responder community, um, yeah. but also work with private organisations as well and local government. Um, I'm the first responder representative on the state government suicide prevention council here in South Australia. Wow, that's um, amazing. Yeah, which was a really great opportunity. Uh, I mean, obviously, a, a community ambassador for Are You OK? and the host of their Are They Triple OK? podcast. Um, yeah. And so we've had some fantastic guests on there. And uh, yeah, and I've just been still continue to be involved in a number of other um, organisations as well, either as a volunteer facilitator or or consultant as well. So um, yeah, I've always got, always got something going on. That's for sure. <laughs> Sounds like yeah. it sounds like my cousin because yeah, I've always got something going on too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It must, must be a, be, must be a family trait. I think you're right. Yeah. 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 No, it was really interesting because I was chatting to my mum actually um on the weekend and I was telling her how we were gonna do this podcast and yeah. um also telling her how I was a little bit nervous to go and do a talk on Saturday night to a hundred and ten people at a gala mm. dinner. Um, but are you okay? I hadn't done that before. I've always done it mm. like in a workplace where I have my PowerPoint, like we were saying, it gives you that you know, comfort because you've got kind of a prompter with all your points if you have the PowerPoint in order. Um, whereas I had to totally wing it without the PowerPoint, which kind of um, threw me a little. Um, but I just got up there and shared. And the thing was that she had said to me um, was that there's a lot of research. Um, a friend of hers, her son was going through a lot of um, mental health and feeling suicidal. And he was actually um, in the army um, and he'd like come out of the army and was having a lot of challenges. And um, my mum had actually doing, as a researcher in the mental health space, she actually found some research that showed by if one suicide impacts 136 people on average. Mm, mm. And so actually um, explaining that to her friend, to explain to her son around like, you know, it your impact is bigger than you think, you know, like 136 mm. people will be impacted by you if you're not here. And actually it's completely normal that you're feeling this way because of what you've experienced and the trauma you've gone through. Um, and it's just, uh, we've just got to help you get through it kind of thing. And that actually turned his life around because he mm. was at a point where he was going to take a trip overseas and just never come back. Sure. Um, that was his plan. Um, and no one would ever find him. That was his well. thought. Um, and so, yeah, it was really awful, but the Beata, now he's like come through it. He's working on a lot of things in himself and mm -hmm. he's now, um, turned his life around and, you know, because 
of that information. It just gave, especially men, mm-hmm. I think, really appreciate stats mm-hmm. and um, yeah. figures to be able to put it into a rational, logical sense. Um, whereas me as a woman, it's a lot more emotional. We need to like, you know, have a hug and a cry with someone close to us and we kind of feel it through and get through it. So mm. I think it's interesting how we all cope differently. And, um, yeah, I thought it was very relevant to the work you're doing on the front line there um, with first responders, et cetera. So, yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah. I think because um, one of the things that we know as well is that education is the is the best way to eradicate stigma and those True. and a lot of those like community challenges that or even if they're perceived and that self-stigma that can show up. And there's certain yes. industries that we know that, um, you know, maybe the culture within the organisation or the culture within the role and uh, and that, that would be the military and first responder agencies. Often there's a, um, you know, I guess a very stoic culture in there and that to, to name it a, a challenge could be per- perceived even by themselves as a weakness. Um, yes. And I think trying to reduce that down, the only way that we do that is through that education piece, as you, as you mentioned. Right. And Beyond Blue actually did some really like remarkable research back in, they published it back in 2018. It was a survey that they, they called Answering the Call. And they had okay. interviewed um, just over 21,000 paid and volunteer first responders in around the country. Yep. And they looked at a whole range of things. But some of the key um, messages that I took from the research is stuff that I'm, I often share with people, especially when I'm doing talks to first responder agencies or, or defence, yep. is around the, the support and the perception of it. Because over 99%, so we're down into like, you know, 99 point, you know, something percent of those yeah. people that were interviewed didn't believe that the person who was struggling or was navigating mental health challenges was to blame for their challenge. They they never thought that it was oh. the person's fault. And okay. I think th- th- in contrast, though, what they found is that more than two thirds of the same cohort of people said that they wouldn't put their hand up to say they were struggling if they were, because they were they were concerned of what the, I guess, the perception would be from their peers. So there was this wow. still very much a culture of they were willing to help other people but didn't yeah. necessarily want to feel as though that they were a burden on others. And and we know that the the research that um, I guess RUOK has been involved in as well has really got around to that, that triangle of, of um, you know, the, the challenges, if you like, and feeling as though you're a burden to others is, is obviously exactly. a critical part. Um, and so I think, um, yeah, I, I often share a lot of that information that Beyond Blue found in their research and, and some of the work that RUOK has done since just to help try to touch on the point that you just um, importantly raised before around this is a normal conversation for us to have. Yeah. Um, you know, we know that over 500,000 Australians uh, are going to be impacted by suicide, you know, and yeah. like that's a that's a lot of people impacted. So when you actually start to put, talk about the numbers as much as... Um, I'm always careful around statistics because they represent human beings. But you know, yes. statistics I think are um, are important for a lot of people to to get their head around. It puts things into perspective to say this is a normal conversation for us to have, and yeah. if we can have these conversations more regularly and in a meaningful way, um, then I think we can have a significant impact as a community just on the the general well being of of our of our community around us. Yeah, I, I totally 100% agree. And I think um, I, I'm one credit to COVID, um, the pandemic has actually opened this conversation up so much more. Um, mm. You know, I've been um, running a business for 10 years now, Taylor Care. And, um, you know, I remember when I launched, I wanted to support Are You OK? But 
didn't want anyone to know that I had my own lived experience back then. I felt very like taboo and didn't want to be seen as someone that maybe had mental health issues. And I remember like um, I did fundraisers for them. I did all this stuff, but I didn't want people to know my story until about um, two years after doing fundraising, they said, would you like to be an ambassador, Kate? Because we think you'd be really great. And um, and then I had to really think that through, like, do I want to be out there? Do I want to be known for my past history, my darkest moments in my life, like sharing Mm -hmm. that to help empower other people. And um, it wasn't until I um, watched, I don't know, that series, if you saw it, it wasn't a great series, but on Netflix called 13 Reasons, um, that series in in America. And it -hmm. it was basically um, a lot of in America, families and teenagers were in uproar after it kind of came out because there was the main character takes her life by suicide. Mm -hmm. And... Um, it triggered a lot of mental health challenges in people. And her story was similar to mine in terms of being bullied at school and not fitting in and just kind of getting really down about what things had been said to me um, and that I was mm. worthless and had no purpose and just horrible things that kids say, right? And um, mm. and it made me reflect on her and it actually made me go, you know what, I need to show give hope to these young people. I need to use yeah. my story to show them that what happens when you're a teenager is not the end of the road. Like it is just the, a piece of the puzzle in your life. And um, and it empowered me to go, you know what, I'm going to take this step and be bold and start doing these talks. Um, and so, yeah, so what can come from something that seemed so negative in the media and to people actually helped mm. me become make that step to become an ambassador and be proud of my story and not feel ashamed and, and actually did a lot of inner work on myself at that time. I remember when I first started talking about it, it brought up a lot of feelings yeah. and a lot of triggers that I didn't expect. And I didn't realize that actually it's um, your brain's actually going back to the place you were when it happened. And so mm. when you share your story, um, it's not that you're back to being that person. It's that vulnerable teenage girl that I was, but it's actually, it's your brain trying to process what's happened. And I think when I was a teenager, it was very taboo to talk about mental health, uh, especially making an attempt on my own life at 15, you know? And so it was very like, my dad was a local minister. So it was very like, mm-hmm. you, you know, don't let anyone know, like it's a secret and we never talked yeah. about mental health. And so, you know, it's showing my age a bit, but like, you know, it's 20 years mm-hmm. ago, over 20 years ago now. And, um, and I was just like, Oh, okay. That's just what you do. You just keep that in the closet. Don't tell anyone. And, um, and so it's been a journey to actually go to a mm-hmm. point where I can get up now and talk in front of anyone and, and, and tell my story in a safe way um but in a way that also um i'm very aware if i am doing a talk in a different environment or somewhere different that i haven't done before um that it may bring up new feelings that i hadn't processed so i think over the six years like i still have follow-ups with a psychologist after are you okay day and i still you know process things as i go but i remember that first year was really triggering for a while and I thought, am I ever going to be able to share my story without feeling this way? And sure yeah. enough, over time, as I actually processed those feelings um, and went to a psychologist, I actually found that I could get through it. And that was the, I feel a blessing um, as an IUK ambassador that they actually give us EAP to access. And I found yeah. a really great psychologist who was giving me the tools and helped me understand what my brain was doing and why. And um, yeah. yeah, and now I can do that and it doesn't, it still takes a lot of energy as you would know doing these talks mm-hmm. um but it yeah it's not as triggering as it used to be so yeah, yeah do you find that i think yeah absolutely could you touch on a couple of really critical points there um firstly you, you're right the brain doesn't know the difference between a i guess a like retelling a story or yeah. it being real life it, it, it so when we go back into those states of of sharing 
in essence, as a presenter or a speaker in these in these moments, um, it is like a talk therapy in a sense, like we're reliving those experiences. So I'll often say to people when I'm doing my presentation, I recognize that my body is is responding physiologically to this in a similar fashion to how it did back then in 2015 when I was having some of those like really intense emotional responses. Um, I've got strategies now that I'm able to implement to yeah. offset some of those um, symptoms that show up, things like, you know, increased heart rate, uh, increased rate of speech, shorter breaths, yeah. all that type of stuff that you would expect in that fight, flight, freeze response. But um, so there's there's that. There's One of the other things that I found was really important for me, though, as well, is that um, is connecting my story to a purpose. Like yes. I, I won't ever I won't ever share my story unless there's a reason. Um, yes. And I think that that can sometimes get lost in, in this concept of I'm not going to bring trauma to the table just because, you know, sometimes people just like to hear um, big dramatic stories and things like yes. for me, connecting it with a purpose and making sure that there's a reason why I'm sharing. There's lessons maybe that I'm that I'm just sharing that that I experience that maybe others yeah. might get some uh, value from. That to me is really the the important part so that when I if I leave a, a presentation or I've finished doing a talk, um, even if it's in a one-on-one -on -one conversation, um, yep. even now as a, as a counsellor, there's times where I might reflect or draw on my own experiences in the past. Yes. There has to always be a purpose and a reason for it. Um, yeah. And so I think, Great. like you say, yes, it, it brings up those emotional responses and it's, it's important then to lean into those and to yeah. say, okay, well, what was that emotion that I was experiencing and why did it show up? And then yeah. what strategies have I got then to, to sort of explore that um, and then maybe offset some of those more intense symptoms that show up? So you, you're right, after, after a few years now of doing this, um, I know that my story, whenever I do a presentation, it's always different. Yeah. Um, I, I, trust, I trust that I, like in my, my ability to, to know which bits to talk to, which bits to maybe not talk to, I, I yeah. try to really respond to the audience as well as to maybe the bits that might feel most appropriate to share. So yeah. it's um I think there's there's a there's a danger somewhat of going like the other end of the spectrum and just encouraging everybody to bring all of their stories to the table. Um, yeah. But so so you're right. It's about putting those appropriate strategies in place, and that's not what Are You Okay is about. Are You Okay is like uh. in in my experience has always been about when you're in a position to be able to share share it there's power in sharing not only for the audience yeah. but certainly as an as an individual who then has to i guess relive some of those experiences it can be quite cathartic at times um yeah so i'm really grateful for the opportunities i get to share uh it to me the feedback and things afterwards and the conversations that i have with people afterwards we we're only just talking about a moment ago but yeah. um there's so much value in that and it's and it's and it's a a, a positive reward for the investment of energy because exactly. you're right, it, it takes a lot of of us to to be able to show up in those moments, even if it's for a a twenty minute recap of this intense experience of our life. Sometimes it feels like it's barely just scratching the surface, but um, I think even even then, there's still it still has an impact, and people are still uh, I'm I'm always feeling quite humbled and rewarded by people's feedback afterwards to say thank you for sharing, uh, yeah, and maybe some key takeaways that they, they took from my talk. So, yeah, yeah, I know it's amazing. I think um, that really make, confirms to me that it was right to talk that day or to do that talk when I get that kind of feedback mm. and 
just had someone on Saturday night come up to me and just say, I'm so glad you're still here and the impact you're having is is huge. And I'm so grateful that you could share tonight and I've now got the tools and I need to talk to some friends struggling with mental health. And and that's really what the Are You Okay model is. You know, we're here to support mm. those and empower those around um, us that are struggling with mental health. You know, um, we're not lifeline. We're not beyond blue, which some yeah. people forget. Like people think we're like mm -hmm. them. But um, the person with mental health would reach out to those kind of services. And then Are You Okay is for the caregivers, for the teachers, for the, you know, colleagues and the managers that are mm -hmm. supporting yeah. those that are struggling with mental health. And so that's really why... I love it because I feel like it's empowering because there's just not enough support around um, to be able to help every person with mental health in the world. So um, that is why we need community and workplaces and um, family and friends to really connect um, with people in their world when they're struggling. And, um, you know, they talk, we talk about um, the ALEC, the the four steps. I've got these little cards here and I often give them out in my talks um, and they have the four steps as a conversation started to remind people. Um, and then on the back, we've got all the numbers um, for Beyond Blue and Lifeline if people need it. So, um, you know, the first one is ask, are you okay? Just remind, we'll recap it with people uh, mm -hmm. who are listening. Um, you know, do it in a, a time and a place that feels right um, that you can ask that person in a genuine way, not just how's it going in, in the hallway and they go, yeah, fine. Like actually say, hey, let's do lunch today or let's do coffee or, you know, let's have a catch up, you know, uh, on the phone, whatever it is, like just connect with that person. Um, and then the big one I think that we often forget when we see someone around us struggling, um, we want to jump in and give strategy and support and help. And I think the big one is to listen. Um, you can give strategies later, but just let them get it off their chest. Let them talk. Mm. Let them hear out what they're saying, you know, and, and then the third thing then is encourage action. At that point, you can then say, well, what have you found has helped you in the past? What kind of support do you need? What could we do to make you feel a bit better? You know, um, do we need to book an appointment with your doctor to get on a mental health plan? Like, um, do you need to book an appointment with your counsellor? Like, what does it look like for you to get yourself back on track again? And that prevention piece, you know, um, prevention is better than cure, right? So mm -hmm. we can help people prevent mental health and prevent those, those like, dark moments that we've had to go through then that's what it's for right um so little steps every week every day that we can do to help that is going to make an impact and and then finally checking in with them after you know remembering to check in on that person i often say trust your gut on that one because you know you have that gut feeling like you're worried about someone or they come into your mind and it might just be a quick message on messenger it might be a quick text message it might be a quote that you've seen or a song that you heard and said hey i thought heard this song reminded me of you and we used to go mm -hmm. out or you know, just something to kind of show them that you care and then following up and saying, how's it all going? And people do that for me in my world and I'm, I do it for others as well. And I think we all need that. We're no, um, we're not immune to mental health. Doesn't matter how rich or poor you are, everyone at some point in their life is going to be impacted. And as we know with all the stats, so um, having that kind of support around us is critical, isn't it, to help us through that time? It, it certainly is. And I, I think as you're doing the recap of the, the steps, it's, um, some of the challenges that some people can think um, or that might be barriers to having those conversations is, am I the right person? I'm not a professional. And I know True. that, um, you know, the the campaign that Are You OK did last year was really around trying to, to you know, um, you don't have to be an expert. And I think what some of the yeah. research that they'd found is that um, less than 
half of our like the community felt confident to have some of these meaningful conversations. I think it was yeah. about forty two percent from memory. So, um, you know, which is which makes sense. I, I can see how people might be somewhat apprehensive to have some of these conversations because, as they say, like you know, if you ask the person how they're going, what if they do say that they're not going so well? There exactly. can be a there'd be a bit of a, a fear around that. And I think you you actually ra raised a really good point in there around it's not about trying to fix things. It's not trying to rush to solution. It's really around trying to just listen to understand as opposed to listening to respond, which is one of the things that I often share with people is listen to understand that person's experience and, yes, um, so and asking them, have you been here before? What's worked in the past? All of those, all of those strategies. There's, there's appropriate supports, which is, you know, as you spoke about with the encourage action, appropriate supports can look like lots of different things for people um, as they need them. But um, what I really encourage people to focus on is their role in that relationship as a friend, as a colleague, yeah. is to be like, a, I guess, the conduit or maybe a safe landing space to go off and try some things, then come back. Um, yeah, I love that. We might be the consistent in their life. So as a, yeah. as a friend or as a colleague, as a family member, we might be the one person that is that constant person who is able to to just continually check in, encourage a yeah. different type of action, and then come yeah. back to them. How did how did that work? Did you did yeah. you find that that was effective? Um, yeah, you know, and it's and that connection piece just to be able to constantly just talk through the the challenge without any um, time frame, without any cost involved, like all of those yeah. things. It's it's that those safe barriers. landing space. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it's just the the safe landing space to come back and and just have another conversation, normalize those those um, experiences, really? and then go, yeah, yeah how, what else might be working for you? And and when we talk about action, um, you know, I, I want people to really think about all of the like a more holistic approach. Yeah. Yes, it's important for people to to seek the professional help that often we just quickly rush to, but not underestimating the impact of of a lot of those daily things that people can be doing, yeah. modifying potentially or at least exploring their alcohol or caffeine intake, looking yeah. at their sleep routines, looking at physical movement, looking yeah. at social connection. Maybe it's it's time away. Maybe it's um, finding adequate time to be distracted by work. So I think yeah. sometimes we can rush to say you need to take some time off. Um, but it's about just trying to really look at the, the individual. What do you need right now? And, and maybe coming to work and being around people and being distracted by some tasks that they know that they're capable of might be the one thing that they do actually rely on as they're consistent in life while they're trying to navigate some other things. So um, yeah. I just really, really try to encourage people when they think about that encouraging action thing to, to, to really think more around what is best suited to that individual person um, as opposed to just, you know, quick off rush them off to a doctor because uh, it might be necessary but it might only yes. play one part one part of that picture so yeah, yeah i love that that. That, was really nice. that is really important i think and mm. knowing um something i said to the people that were listening on saturday night was like if you're struggling or having a hard time like think back to the things you were doing when you felt your best and like when things were going well, what was you, what was different to what you're doing now? So mm. it might be, hey, I was um, getting up and exercising before work um, consistently three days a week and I've stopped doing that. Yep. Or it might be, hey, I was always having a green juice um, every day to boost my body and I've just stopped doing that. And I, mm -hmm. I actually had to do it myself recently. I was feeling like run down and everything. And I was like, what was I doing when I was kicking goals and feeling good? Yeah. Like what was I doing and what have I stopped doing? And yeah. One of the things was having that green juice in the morning. So actually I have an organic green juice, put lots of veggies in it and boost my body 
And honestly, I start my day with that before the yep. coffee, which is hard, mm-hmm. but I've started mm-hmm. doing that now. And for the last three weeks, and I feel so much better. Like it's like yeah. there's just no way I could get that amount of greens in my diet in a day, mm-hmm. like on top mm-hmm. of everything else. So just finding things and like getting back into my exercise. Like I love swimming. So like getting back into swimming regularly and walking outdoors. Like I found getting that fresh air and walking and talking to a friend or getting work calls yeah. done. I just found it cleared my head and I was um, feeling less like trapped or down or sluggish you know it just that movement just helped um so it's sometimes it's the little things that you can adjust in your life routine and they're usually back as well yeah i was gonna say and they're usually the first things that go when things are going really well as we start to increase our our workload in the day or we keep saying yes to those additional things they're usually the first things that go oh well maybe I'll, i'll i'll start early tomorrow and i'll miss the gym or i'll miss the walk or yes. I'll I'll sleep in this morning because um, I'm maybe physically I'm a little bit like run down, so I'm just going to get some more rest. All valid reasons to sort of yeah. like I guess step out of that regular self care strategies, but I think then they're often the things that we find hard to put back in again when all of a sudden we realise that we've now swapped that morning walk for the morning study or the morning um, gym yeah. session for the morning um, email, like you know uh, <laughs> exploring those. So. All of a sudden, you know, it's it's a it's a new thing, and we kind of have normalised this new routine, and yes. maybe it's just the small stuff, as you mentioned, that's just slowly we've just dropped by the wayside, or sometimes yep. it can come up as as a guilt. We we can usually a no. lot of people when they drop the self care, it's usually out of guilt. Like, well, who am I to be, you know, staying back at work a little bit later so I can go for a run after you know work or to catch up with some friends for dinner that feels a little bit selfish when the family's at home um yeah and so we we say no to some of those things or we we try to overcompensate elsewhere um yeah and all of a sudden we we find it hard to bring them back into our week i'm guilty of this which is why i'm so <laughs> conscious of it because <laughs> I, I do we this both do it all the time the thing, isn't it it's like um and like we can't be I don't want people to have just the the rest of me. I want people to have the best of me. And so Mm -hmm. if I don't look after myself first, I can't be the best mum, the best business owner, the best friend, like the best wife. I can't do all that very well Mm -hmm. if I'm not looking after myself. And so I've learned that it's okay to be a little selfish in this area and look after myself and know when my reserves are getting low and when I need support um, because I know I perform better and everyone else is happier when I'm happy. So it kind of has a ripple effect, right? Like if we show up in in our best state, then it's going to impact everyone that we talk to our clients, you know, um, the people that we speak to, uh, even the local coffee shop, like the barista that we talk to every morning, like, you know, we're coming with a bit of a smile and a boost to the day rather than just being like, here's my, where's my coffee. Um, You know, like everyone gets impacted. It's that ripple effect. If we, how we show up. So, um, I saw an image recently and it was like the um, the phone, um, you know, battery, like showing the phone yeah. battery, you know, like when your phone's running low, you plug it in, right, to recharge. So why don't we do the same for ourselves? Like, yeah. you know, it, we we are, we're not like, yeah, we're well, only human. You, <laughs> yeah, and, and a lot of people would notice how many times they would potentially look at their phone battery, especially in the afternoon to go, how much yes. do I need to plug this in? And yes. I think, imagine if we had the same level of self-awareness for ourselves to say, how am I going like three or four times a day to say, what do I need right now? Do I need to be plugged in? Um, and I say easy, easy to say, and this is a lot of the, the work that I do now in, especially like in the workshops and we go into workplaces and we talk to people about this stuff. It's, 
it's like really trying to highlight the importance of what we do between challenges or between difficulties is really important area of focus because yeah. I think in community we get sold this concept of having to operate at 100% all of the time and yeah. it's like just operating at redline and it's like, well, that doesn't yeah. really work. And so one oh. of the analogies that I often use with people is, you know, around this, um, even if we, if we don't want to look at it as like wellness or support, we want to look at it as performance optimization. How is it that yeah. I can keep showing up to be the best version of myself? And yeah, I love that. One of the analogies we use is that like a Formula One car, if you watch a Formula One race, they don't wait for the vehicle to be running on like half empty, full of fuel, the tires bald or like, you know, no longer able to operate or maybe the thing's blowing smoke, the driver's fatigued. They don't do that. They, they do so many laps. And then the minute the car is no longer operating at its best possible performance, they bring it in for a pit stop. Yeah. So, if, if that's the case, it's like when we think about self-care strategies, there are all those little mo moments in our day of like, well, what is this little pit stop meaning for me? Like, is this an opportunity yes. for me to change the tyres, put some new fuel in, like that sort of stuff so I can yeah. get back out into my day and carry on doing what I'm doing? Or yeah. am I just running myself into the ground and just redlining the whole way around the track every day for a week, getting to the weekend, and now the car needs to be like completely overhauled and serviced on the weekend. You that's know, like true. Yeah, and I think that's a common trap that we fall into when we spend the weekend then laying on the couch binge watching Netflix because we're so ruined. Um, yeah, that's not good either. Yeah, so, no, that's right. So I think it's for people. It's like that might struggle with this. Oh, this concept of self care is is selfish. It's and self care doesn't always mean you know bucket of KFC and the Netflix stuff. It's like also doing all the stuff that might be difficult. It could be, you know, for some people yeah. it can be getting up early, cold water swims, whatever it might be. But there's a responsibility, um, I think, for, the, for this is a different way of framing it for some of those people that might challenge it is that if you want to show up to be the best version of yourself, there's a responsibility then back on you to do the things to keep you well. Yes. So if, if you're naming it to say, well, I, do, I know that I need to spend some time with some friends. I know that I need the social connection. I know that I need a physical movement and to look after myself and, and try to eat right and monitor maybe my alcohol intake through the week or whatever those small nuances yeah. are for you. There's almost like a responsibility so that you do show up as the best version of yourself for all of those people you care about. Um, yeah. So don't, like we should be leading with those strategies at the beginning of the week rather than, um, you know, it doesn't give us permission all then just to come in late for work because Matt said on, you know, Kate's podcast, <laughs> <laughs> I'm allowed to do all those things and I'm walking in 45 minutes late to work. Not necessarily. It's about trying to find the balance of all of that stuff to say, well, am I just over committing myself in the week? Or do I actually true. have capacity to do this stuff? Say no because, to things. Yeah, exactly. Because we, because as we know, we're not going to get to the end of life as Simon Sinek says in the infinite game. No one gets to the end of life and gets a trophy and says like, congratulations, you won. It doesn't work. No. You know, this is a this is a long sustainable approach like we can't just burn ourselves out every couple of you know every couple of months and then just spend six weeks trying to get well again we have to find unique strategies individual to each of us that is um, so that makes we're capable of persisting for a longer game and and i think getting back to the importance of this conversation around the are you okay stuff is yeah. about leaning into those conversations with the, with your friends with your colleagues family yeah. members asking those questions, naming the things that you notice and just trying to reduce a lot of that, the stigma around like th these conversations. Let's normalise conversations around mental exactly. health and wellbeing um, so that we can support each other 
because the person who is who is maybe navigating challenges today will be the person who is supporting someone navigating their own challenges in the next few weeks or few months or few days even. So yeah, so we're a community. We should act like one. Exactly. No, I love that. And it's so important. I think you gave some really valid points around um, the Formula One car. I think that's really powerful reminder. I think I'll share that with my husband tonight because <laughs> I feel like guys would appreciate that one. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Performance optimization. It's not about wellness or support. It's, we're talking about performance, how you can be the best version of yourself. Well, you know, I often say that to like, um, you know, Olympic athlete, I'll say like, you know, for them to be at that level, they don't just mm -hmm. um, rock up. You know, they okay. have the best coach, they have the best nutritionist, they have the best mindset person, they have everything mm -hmm. they can to be successful. So it's like, yeah. how do you think you're meant to be at your best if you don't have the tools, people around you in, um, to help you do that? And mm -hmm. um, and I think um, that draws me to like, what kind of things do you do for your well-being and mental health? Because obviously mm. you've gone through a journey um, with lived experience and, you know, I do these talks occasionally, but you're doing this stuff all the time. Like, do you find that quite draining to your energy or do you have to like do certain things to help you keep strong and keep going? What yeah. is the kind of things you do in your toolkit? Yeah, no, it, it, you're right. Um, I, I do it a fair bit. Um, I enjoy doing it, but I also recognize the toll that it does that it does take. And I think going back to a point um, that I mentioned right off the bat was around routine and structure, particularly when I'm traveling uh, yeah. and doing this type of work, it can be really easy to forego some of that routine and structure. I try to be yeah. really um, strict with that. I know that serves me. Um, physical movement is is an important one, even if it's just trying to get out for a walk. Um, yeah. I also know that the social connection, like I'm a, you'll hear me bang on about the importance of peers and um, like talking to your mates like all the time. Like this is something I live and breathe. So um, I, I will always be in conversation with with people about what's going on, what's going on for me, things I've noticed. And that's not all just bad stuff. It's also yeah. all the good stuff. And I think that's yeah. an important, important point as well that I introduce is really try to look at how best I um, can celebrate the wins too with those around yeah. me and and name that stuff because um, it's it's so important when we talk about mental health to realize the spectrum, not just all the heavy stuff down the far end of you know looking down the barrel of mental illness. I want to I want people to really shine the light on all the good stuff. Those days that moments that you feel joy and happiness and um, and, and pride. Yeah, I want because I want people to remember what that feels like. So yes. that's a that's usually a thing for me as well, just to incorporate in to look for maybe small wins. Um, yeah. And, and then there's some other things, um, like I, I know, uh, it's not, I like the ocean. The ocean's just like a really comforting I place for too. me. Um, yeah. so going for a swim, even if it's freezing cold and raining and that type of stuff, um, getting in the ocean is, I know is a really good reset for me as well. So there's okay. probably a few key things there. Um, practically I, I will often look at, if I realize that I'm, maybe I'm not operating at a hundred percent. I know I can usually start by looking at my sleep routine, my alcohol intake and my coffee intake. Yeah. And making some minor adjustments there usually has a has a positive um, impact. And then I, I still see a psychologist um, on a regular basis. Uh, like to, to me, it's like, well, I don't wait for my car to die before I take it to the mechanic. So, um, yes. Uh, and I always go in there going, I don't know if I've got anything to talk about, but I can tell you I always sit there for an hour and I've got plenty of things to say. So. <laughs> it all comes out. I feel like that too sometimes. And yeah. through COVID, that got me through. Like I literally would have a monthly check-in with my psych. And yep. 
because as a business owner and going through my own challenges personally, I was like, how do I get through this? You know, and having someone just to listen to you for an hour, sometimes it's just yeah. what you need. Um, that can give you some professional tips and tools to help you go about your next week or your next month before you see them again. And um, that yeah. was something I realized I had had for a while. So probably for like four months this year, I haven't been seeing my psychologist because I thought I was doing okay. And then yeah. I've noticed I'd like around June, July, I just started to deteriorate. And um, a lot of my friends and family were like, you're not coping like you normally do. Like, you know, maybe you need to check in with, you know, your psychologist. And I stopped having mm-hmm. my business coach as well because I'd run out of sessions. And I was like, man, I really, this really impacts me and how I perform. Yeah. And so I'm going back and trying to add that back in now and um, and be aware of that because, yeah, um, we're in the human and life can hit us when we least expect it. And sometimes it's with those moments that we need to kind of go back to our toolkit and go what, what we need. Absolutely. I think um, I'm conscious of the time and I I know we'll be looking to wrap up. So if I was to finish on one of these conversations that I often have with people when we talk about self-care, I often bring up the conversation around forced and controlled discomfort. And what I mean by that is I know that life is going to throw challenges at me. Like it just will, as it will everybody. And they are the moments of forced discomfort. They are not the times that I want to be learning what works best for me. So what I try to do is I... I try to introduce opportunities of controlled discomfort so that I can recognize what my body does. And so what I mean by controlled discomfort is those times where maybe you have to do a presentation at a meeting or you have to stand up in front of a group of people would be one. For me, even going into the ocean when it's like six degrees and the sea's raging and it's raining, (laughs) there's a story that my brain tells me about what the outcome is going to be and a physiological response that I can now become accustomed to. So by creating those opportunities because I think in life we often get so caught up in pursuing comfort um, and ease of things, looking for ways in which I know that I can um, experience some level of discomfort safely Yeah, that does has very little risk. If I go into the ocean, the worst that happens is I get cold. Like that's not, it's not that big of a deal, but what it does do is it gives me an opportunity to, to practice how it is that I, how I, physically or or physiologically show up what the stories my brain tells me in those moments of discomfort so that when I'm having a difficult time at work or maybe I have some significant challenge that crops up I recognize the response and I've then got strategies that I can put in place to to start like softening some of those responses so wow I love that that's really important Mm. yeah because I think Mm. there's this whole thing of like oh you know We've not got it. We've got to avoid the discomfort and avoid those yep. challenges. It's like no, but it's like part of life. Like, unfortunately, exactly. no one gets out of it. I guess away with it easy. Um, so um, we need to have those tools to help us. And yeah, I like that idea about that controlled mm-hmm. discomfort. Um, get us out of our comfort zones and help us to cope right. um, with change and when things happen. Um, so that's awesome. Oh, thank you so much for this chat today. I've really enjoyed it. We've had um, a lot of insights to share with everyone and I hope that it will encourage you all to reach out to each other this week and every day around mental health and wellbeing and are you okay day coming up? Um, and is there a favourite quote or saying you'd like to end on, Matt? Um, I've I've got a, a tattoo actually um, that my, of a quote that my, that my grandma um, carried um okay. by my grace that you would probably remember yes. um and it is uh don't wish for an easier life strive to be a stronger person um Ooh, and love that so yeah for me it was really around um it's like challenge is going to happen 
So yeah. I'm looking at those those strategies. For me, it was a useful quote for me to then look at, there's going to be a lot of things outside of my control. How is it that I might be able to start learning strategies to navigate as challenges come up? So um, I don't necessarily wish for life to be easier. Um, I'm just looking for ways of um, increasing my education and knowledge so that I've got better coping strategies. Yeah, I love that. That's really powerful. Yeah. Grandmas are the best like that. Um, my yeah, grandma yeah. still, we send each other, she sends me quotes most days on Messenger. And um, yeah, she was the one that helped me get out of my rut as a you know teenager who was very depressed. She'd make me write quotes in a journal um, that she would send me. And I'm like, why am I doing this as a teenager? <laughs> um, but now we both love our quotes. So it was like, that yeah. actually got me through those times. Um, and I often share quotes yeah. with other people. So um, yeah, I think... <laughs> There's definitely some wisdom in there from the older generation that we need to take, take on, hey? Um, Absolutely. How can people get in touch with you, Matt, if they'd like to use um, your services, your frontline mental health? Yep. Um, what? How can people get in touch with you? Cool. So obviously LinkedIn, you'll find me, Matt Newlands. Yep. Uh, you'll find me on Instagram, Matty, M-A-T-T-Y dot Newlands. You'll find me there. Um, also at frontlinemh.com.au, you'll find our website. Um, right. So yeah, if there's if people have got anything that they want to talk about, um, or just have another one of these conversations, I'm I'm all for it. And you're probably going to as well. But I just want to encourage everybody, particularly this week, to go to ruok.org.au. You'll find a whole yeah. heap of resources and things there. Um, if you did want to get involved in ruok this week and many other weeks throughout the year. So exactly, yeah, yeah we do talks all year round. So if people want That's to it. do an ruok day in a month or two, it's fine. We can get involved. So uh, yeah, reach out to Are You Okay or to us directly and we'll be able to organise it doing a talk for you guys. So uh, yeah, thanks so much, Matt. And it's been great to have the chat with you today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us for this talk today. I know it's um, a bit of a sensitive topic for a lot of people um, and could be quite triggering um, hearing this um, message around mental health and well-being um, and talk, talks of suicide. So if anyone is needing support or is struggling right now, we want to encourage you to reach out to Lifeline on 13 11 14 um, and they will be able to support you through this. And uh, we hope you have um, a blessed week ahead and great Are You Okay Day and remember, um, to check in on someone that you care about this week.